We had bacon egg rolls before church, for those that knew. I don't know whether we uh, advertised it that well, but it's the second Sunday of the month that we do it. First Sunday of the month. So, uh, Nigel and Imogen, can you guys stand up? Give them a big hand. They do the came in early, did the barbecue, the cafe team. Stand up, cafe team. Give these guys a big hand. Sam came in early. Stand up, Sam. Did I miss anybody? Al, I got, did I say Alan? Yeah, yeah, he stood up. So all these guys came early. First Sunday of the month, just put in your diary, free bacon, egg rolls, free coffee um, before the service. After the service, they're $8 each, just to, just to, pay, just to make it up. Aussie, <laughs> um, stand up, Aussie. Aussie starting second year Bible college. This is Austin. So he's a student, so I saw him packing five bacon egg rolls into his bag for the week. He's got breakfast sorted for the week. Hand up all the students. Put your hand up if you're a student at the moment. Give all our students a big hand if you're studying. We believe strongly in, uh, in education, in uh, improving yourself, in learning, expanding your capacities, your skills, your abilities at whatever uh, age, whatever level you're at. Uh, that life is, is a journey of continual learning and uh, cap- increasing our capacity in various different ways. So uh, congratulations to everybody that's, that's doing that. We're starting a new series here this morning called Under Construction. Um, we're going to be looking at a whole uh, bunch of different areas of our lives and how to, uh, how to construct the best life in regards to the way the Bible outlines uh, the, the kind of life uh, that we're able to live a, li- a life of success, a life of uh, happiness, of a significance, of value, all the attributes, a humble life. There's so many uh, different aspects that the Bible outlines in regards to what it means to live a great life. And some of them are, but a lot of them aren't necessarily recognized in the world in regards to what are significant attributes or character- characteristics to have in your life. Uh, the way the Bible outlines success and the way the world outlines success don't always correlate. It's a little bit like a Venn diagram. You've, you know, you've got, it's going back to school, but you've got your two circles and then the little bit that, that uh, intersects in the middle. So there definitely are some things that, that in our society that would say it constitutes success, but then there's a whole bunch of other areas outside which the world may say, yeah, if you've got this fame a lot of money or whatever, that that makes you successful. And the Bible uh, may not necessarily agree that that is what a successful life is. So today I want to talk about uh, decision-making. Do you know the Bible talks a lot about miracles? And we believe in miracles. We believe in the supernatural. We believe in uh, God's divine desire to move supernaturally, miraculously in our lives. But you know what? The Bible also teaches a lot about having frameworks to live our lives that are based on just making good decisions. Sometimes if we make good decisions, we actually don't need a miracle. (laughs) Sometimes it's our bad decisions that lead us to a place where we need a miracle. Um, And so I want to look at what the Bible has to say today about creating a framework for our life, whether we're young, you know, whether we're a teenager or at uni or a young adult or in early stage of a relationship or in a marriage or you've got a family or maybe even an empty nester, how to, how to make decisions in a godly way that are going to 
help us move towards what God's got for us. Uh, who wants to hear more about that? Anybody? Well, that's good. So otherwise, I'll just sit down now. <laughs> Listen to this scripture in Proverbs fourteen fifteen. The simpleton, the simple person, uh, some translations say the fool, uh, the simpleton believes every word he hears or she hears. But the prudent man or the prudent woman looks and considers well where they are going. Your desires, when I say to you, what's your vision? What's your desires? Where do you want to be? What do you want to do? Your desires tell me where you want to go or where you want to end up. But it's your decisions that will tell me if you're going to get there or not. You can have great desires, but if the decisions you're making are leading you in a different direction, guess what? You are never going to get there. Whether you pray, you fast, you do whatever, um, the decisions that we make on a daily basis, there are some big moments and big decisions that we make in our life. Uh, but you know what? Sometimes we neglect the everyday, the daily decisions that we're making. It's the little it's the little decisions, it's the daily routines, it's the habits that we're forming that will actually determine whether we get to and see the goals, the desires, the dreams that we have fulfilled or not. Um, so I want to ask you this morning, where, where are you taking your life with the decisions you're making? Because it's the decisions that you make that will determine where you end up. Uh, and are you including God in your decision-making process? As a Christian, as a believer, it is imperative that we are bringing the divine uh, aspect, the, design, the divine perspective into our world so that we're, we hear from God because God knows things that we don't know. Um, and does what you say you want line up with what you do daily? So... Uh, I love the Bible because the Bible, yes, it's full of the divine, it's full of the supernatural, it's full of the, the incredibly otherworldliness, but it's also a very practical book. And God has outlined over and over again through direct quotations like Proverbs, through clear precepts and, and clear uh, direction, but also through analogy and also through uh, looking at the lives of people. The Bible, you might think, why is there all these people's stories of all these people. What, like, what has that got to do with me? Uh, the lives of people, God has recorded them in the Bible so that we can see the fruit of the decisions of their life. We don't need to make the same mistakes. We can look at the life of a person that is recorded in the Bible from birth to death, and it will record certain decisions that are made at certain time, and then we can look at where they end up and go, wow, the decisions that this person made led them to a certain place, whether they were good or bad decisions. And so we have these stories. Uh, you've got these, these um, parallel journeys, if you like, two disciples, Peter and Judas. And you look at their life and the decisions that they made and where they ended up. They were both disciples. One actually failed in a lot of ways and denied Jesus. Another one didn't never deny Jesus but ended up betraying Jesus. Um, so Christianity is not a performance-based religion. There's, many, there's a lot of failure recorded in the Bible of people that have achieved great things and, and been forgiven and gone on to do incredible things. Um, but you've got this, 
you've got the, this uh, contrast, this dichotomy, if you like, of, uh, so you've got Peter and Judas, two disciples. You've got two kings, David and Saul. If you know these names, if, if you've read their stories, they're in the Bible. Um, and you see the decisions of a, of a young man like David and, and how he made decisions for his life and included God in those decisions. And a, and a guy like Saul, who was also elevated to the highest position in the nation at the time, and the decisions that he made that actually led him into a, in, into a really bad place. Um, so two kings both called of God, both anointed, the Bible says, and yet ended up in two vastly different places because of the decisions that they made at, at critical times, times under pressure. I haven't got time to go through all that at the moment, but it's often the, mo it's often the pressure moments where we make certain decisions that can determine where we end up. Uh, Abraham and Lot, you may know, heard of them, you may have read their story in Genesis as well. Uh, Lot, it's interesting because uh, Lot, if you've heard of him, if you haven't, re read his story uh, in Genesis. But uh, the dumb decisions that Lot made, who lived with a guy called Abraham, was one of the most famous people in the Bible. The dumb decisions that Lot made in the Old Testament, based purely, if you look at his story, all the decisions he made were based purely on his natural senses. So he's given opportunity to make a decision to where he's going to live, and, and how he's going to live. And Abraham said, you decide. Uh, wherever you want to go, we, we can't live together anymore. We've got too much. You make a decision. The Bible says he looked up and he saw the fruitfulness of Sodom and Gomorrah. And it said he, it appealed to his senses. And he went, that's the place for me. The worst decision of his life. Because what looked to him like an awesome place was the most debaucherous, the most... Um, destructive place that he could have gone. But to him, it looked like, wow, that's, that's a prosperous place. And I haven't got time to go through all his story, but those decisions that he made without including God, so it says he never prayed about it. He just looked up. He went, that looks like an awesome place. I'm going there. And it says it cost him, his, it cost him the life of his wife. It cost him the integrity of his daughter's. And everything he had, he was a rich man. And the, if you read the story, by the end of it, he was living in a cave with nothing. Only because, and how's this? This is really interesting. Second Peter in the New Testament, when Peter wrote this book, he says that, that Lot was a righteous man. So we think, oh, he was sinning, he was doing all these things. But no, the Bible says, no, no, he was a righteous man. He was a good man. He was going to heaven. He was a saved man. And yet he made these dumb, dumb decisions that ruined his life. Um, and so we want to be empowered to make good decisions. We don't want to be afraid to make decisions because not making a decision is making a decision. Did you know that? <laughs> to not make a decision is to make a decision, not to make a decision. And the outcome of that decision not to make a decision is the decision that you've made and that you'll bear the fruit of it. Does that make sense? <laughs> but listen to this. Paul wrote to the Corinthian church and he said this in the message translation, talking about the, these stories, these lives of the Old Testament men and women as we read through and what, how they lived their lives and how they made decisions under pressure and whether they called on God or didn't or whether they included God or included others. And Paul wrote this to the Corinthians church, speaking about these stories and these people. These are all warning markers, danger, 
in our history books, written down so that we don't repeat their mistakes. Our position in the story, our positions in the story are parallel. They are at the beginning, we are at the end. And we, and we are just as capable of messing it up as they were. Don't be so naive and self-confident. You're not exempt. You could fall flat on your face, on your face as easily as anyone else. Forget about self-confidence. It's useless. Cultivate God-confidence. What an incredible scripture. So when we read through the Bible, it's important that we're looking and asking God, because God wants us to have the best life that we can live, the most fruitful, the most sense of significance and value, contribution, fulfillment, happiness, all of these things in our relationships, in our workplace. That's God's desire. And he says, I've, I've shown you how you can achieve that. And it's all in the Bible. But theory is one thing and practice is another, isn't it? <laughs> it's great to have a book. Um, it's another thing under pressure to apply what God says. Um, so I want to go through some, some of the things that the Bible tells us um, about decision making. Number one. Tomorrow's success is rooted in today's decisions. Uh, Philippians 1.19 in the uh, CEV version uh, says this, I pray that your love will keep on growing and that you will fully know and understand how to make the right choices. So Paul's again writing the Philippian church. He wrote to the Corinthian church. He's saying, I'm praying that you understand this stuff so you can make the right choices with your life so that the things that God promises and the things that are outlined will come to pass in your life as you follow through on these decisions. Um, if we underestimate the power of today and the decisions we're making today and the little choices that we're making today and we overestimate the power of tomorrow, we'll fall short of our dreams, desires, and expectations. So we have a tendency to minimize today and to over-exaggerate tomorrow. Oh, tomorrow is going to be amazing. Tomorrow this is going to happen. Tomorrow I'm going to see this. Tomorrow I'm going to achieve this. So we, we, we um, overestimate the value of tomorrow and yet forget that what happens tomorrow is built upon what we do today. What decisions, what habits, what, what things are we doing to see those things come to pass? Um, many, people, many people think that as Christians, you should just live day to day. I've heard people say this. They quote different scriptures and think, well, if I'm a Christian, I shouldn't be planning for tomorrow. I shouldn't be saving money. I shouldn't be taking out insurance. You know, the Bible says just live for today. And they quote this scripture, Matthew 6, 34. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. This is what Jesus says. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And they go, see, so I'm not going to plan. I'm just going to live for today. I'm just going to do what God says today. But that's a misunderstanding of what that scripture is saying. It says don't worry about tomorrow. It doesn't say don't plan for tomorrow. It says don't worry about it. 
And you've got to take Scripture in context. So it, the Scriptures also say in Proverbs 29, 18, where there's no vision, people cast off restraint. If you don't have a plan, if you don't have a goal, if you don't have a vision, you will not achieve anything. Because you just, I know for me, some of you know that I, I like to cycle. If I don't have a race that I'm trying to uh, go to or prepare for, and, you know, you come time for meals and whatever, if I haven't got something that I'm preparing for or trying to lose weight for, I'm just like, whatever. <laughs> but if I go away and six weeks' time, I've got to be 75 kilos and I'm 80 kilos, I'm like, I need to make some decisions about how much food I eat and how I can lose that much weight. So it's really important that we don't live in this super spiritualized world and we think that God's just going to make everything happen and we don't need to have plans and we don't need to have strategies and we don't need to think about the future because that's not biblical. God says, no, don't worry about tomorrow. You won't need to worry about it if you're looking after it today. If you're doing what you need to do today, if you're praying today, if you're asking God for wisdom today about your future, maybe some of you young people are thinking about your career or what you want to do or whatever, and just making those little decisions every day uh, about where I want to end up and what I want to, what I want to do. Um, Oscar Wilde, some of you may have heard of him. I remember reading about him when I was at university. Um, but he, it says here of Oscar Wilde, Oscar Wilde was a man of unlimited potential, a playwright, a novelist, a poet, a critic. He was born in 1854. He won a, he won a scholarship and was educated in Britain's best schools. He excelled in Greek, winning the gold medal at Trinity College for his studies. He was awarded the Newdigate Prize and was honoured as first in greats at Oxford University. His plays were popular. He earned a mountain of cash. Uh, he uh, his talent seemed limitless. Uh, he was the toast of London. Karen Kenyon, writer for British Heritage magazine, called him our most quotable writer after Shakespeare. And yet at the end of his life, he was penniless and miserable. He'd lost his family, he'd lost his fortune, and he'd lost his will to live. Uh, his lifestyle landed him in prison at the end of his life. And he wrote this about his decisions. He said, I must say to myself that I ruined myself and that nobody, great or small, can be ruined except by their own hand. The gods, he wasn't a Christian, obviously, the gods had given me almost everything, but I let myself be lured into long spells of senseless and sensual ease. I forgot that every little action of the common day makes or unmakes your character. I ceased to be Lord over myself. I allowed pleasure to dominate me and I've ended in horrible disgrace. What a life. That's a person that didn't understand that the daily decisions will determine where we end up. I want to show you a short video of another guy that you've probably heard of or seen who also understood the power of daily decisions and where it can, uh, where it can take you. So, Ruthie, if we can show this video, just make sure it's loud. Not loud enough. Can we turn it up?
Jordan's down. That's it. Dying. I think a lot of people just, they see you run and they say, oh, it looks so easy. You really look effortless. But before it gets to that point, it's hard. It's like hard work. Stay in, day out, sacrifice. Stay in, day out. Just dying. This time when you run and you just want to stop, you just want to give up. Like, to, to hell with this. I just want to go home. This day when you get up and you know what, you have a training today. You know it's going to be intense. And you're like, oh, God, I don't want to go today, but you got to go. And it's so hard, and a lot of people don't know. My coach always says, in a couple of years, we're not going to have any trap because we're going to take all of it home. <laughs> we are not used to seeing you suffering. <laughs> That's why you guys are here. Show the true story, innit? This here is the reality? Do you mean that the competition is not the reality? Listen, the work is behind the scenes. Competition is the easy part. <laughs> behind the scenes is where the work is done. Everything is done to, to get to that one race that you need to run. I think I saw him once training. I felt it that day. He, he was vomiting and he looked stressed and I really felt it and said, son, I didn't know you got to work so hard because that was some hard training. So I prefer not to be there because it's not easy to watch him train because it's, it's really tough. your conscience speaking. Don't do it. <laughs> Stop running. Retire. <laughs> Go play football. <laughs> Go play golf. <laughs> I thought that was such a powerful video because we see people at their point of excellence and we think, wow, I wish I could do that. Or wow, look how easy it is. Or wow, look how talented they, they are. But I can guarantee you, it doesn't matter for any person whether the, the most, who they would call the most gifted and talented runner that's ever been. It's the decisions that we make every day that will determine where we end up and what we achieve. And that in our relationships, in our career, in our workplace, our personal plans and desires, our health, all of those things are related to the decisions that we're making every single day. Your decisions will determine your destination. So where are you taking your life? Um, oh, sorry. I've lost my notes. So how do you make great decisions? Uh, I've got three points. Oh, hold on. No, I've got two because I printed the wrong pages. <laughs> anyway, number three. Oh, I never remember what the third one is. I'll get, I'm just going to quickly give you three, three points. This is not an exhaustive list by any, sh any stretch of the imagination. It's just three things that I think are in, important. Uh, but there's obviously no, there's a lot more added to this. But just quickly, 
uh, as we finish up. How do you make a great decision uh, from a Bible perspective um, and just in general? Number one, uh, you make sure you've got adequate information. You can't make a great decision without adequate information. Uh, how many times have you thought, if I'd known that, I would never have done that? Anyone? <laughs> if I'd known the car was a lemon, I wouldn't have bought it. <laughs> Did you get an NRMA inspection? Inspection? No, I put out a fleece. <laughs> and I said to God, if this is the car for me, God, I pray that a plane flows over my head. And a, fl- a, and a plane flew over my head. Mind you, it was a mascot <laughs> near the airport. <laughs> Sometimes as Christians, we, we spiritualize things that are really, the Bible says, no, this is just practical. This is just good decision making. If you're going to buy something, you're going to invest in something, get, get all the information that you can before you make a decision. If I'd known the house was in a flood zone, I'd never have bought it. I thought it was so cheap because it was a blessing from God. (laughs) Did you get an inspection done? No, I just prayed and I didn't hear the Lord say no. (laughs) Um, Some people make their decisions too fast without weighing up all that's involved. We make emotional decisions. We just go, that's it, I'm out of here. And we just make a decision. And and sometimes we can regret those decisions. I'm just going to close my eyes and pray that it works. That's not biblical. Um, We make a decision on a whim that will affect the rest of our life. Proverbs 15.22 says this, plans fail through lack of counsel. What's everyone else saying? Uh, So number one, get adequate information. Do your research. If you're buying a house, if you're buying a car, if you're Investing in a career, if you're buying into a business, just do the research. It's, it's that easy. It's that simple. Don't just pray. You've got to pray, but you also got to do the basics. Number two, you make a great decision in the window of opportunity. Great decisions are made in the window of opportunity. You can't make a great decision any time you want. There are windows of time. And in that window, you have an opportunity to make a decision. Not all decisions, but some of the important decisions. Have a window. Um, Some great decisions. Have a shelf life. If you know the story of the children of Israel, they got led out of Egypt. They got to the border of the promised land, and God said to them, go in. The the promised land is there. Everything I've promised you is there. You just got to cross over. You've got to fight these giants and go in there. And they said, oh, no, we're not ready. We're not ready. And he's going, no, go now. Go now. They said, no, no, no. No, we want to go back. We want to go back. And he's like, all right, go back. You've lost. The window's shut. And they go, oh, no. What do you mean it's shut? No, it's shut. No, no, no. We're ready. We're ready now. It's too late. The window's shut. And then they went over and they got defeated. And then they spent 40 years wandering around the desert because at the moment of decision, at the window of opportunity, they were, they were not prepared to take that, to step out and trust God in that moment. Now, there'd been a lot of backstory to that, but I won't go into it. Um, but they didn't end up seeing God's promises come to pass, that generation. Um, when the Lord opens the door, walk through it. Many people are afraid to make a decision, like the children of Israel at that time. But not making a decision is making a decision. 
So they miss it because they won't make a decision. But to not make a decision is to make a decision. So if the opportunity, if the time's there, you've got to make a decision. The window's there. You can say, I've decided to go to the Olympics. I've got a natural talent. I think I'm as talented as Usain Bolt at the 100 and 200 metres. How old are you? I'm 45. No. (laughs) I don't care how much talent you've got. The window is shut. You're not going to the Olympics except as a spectator. (laughs) I'm going to start saving for my retirement. How old are you? I'm 75. (laughs) You're starting out too late. There's a window. Some of the important decisions have a window, an opportunity timeline, and you've got to make the decision at the right time. And you need, oh, here's my third point, and, and oftentimes to make those decisions, you've got to include God. You've got to pray and ask God. God has your best, my best, our best interest at heart, like any loving, true father wants the very best for us. So why would we not include the one, the Bible says is omniscient and knows everything, the beginning from the end, and everything that's going to happen in the future. Why would we not ask him to help us make a good decision? That's nuts. So we've got to be led by the Holy Spirit, thirdly. God wants to be involved in our decision-making when it comes to the important decisions. He doesn't want to, he, he doesn't want you to ask him what underpants you should wear today. <laughs> he doesn't want you to ask him, oh, what, what, what pants should I wear? Should I wear the blue shirt or the yellow shirt? No, he's given us a brain and he's given us some freedom. And he said, hey, all those decisions, they're for you to make. I don't care. I don't care what shirt you wear. I don't care what, Deodorant you wear? I don't care what aftershave you got on or what perfume you wear. Oh, is there a Christian fragrance? (laughs) No, there's not. (laughs) It's what you like. God doesn't care. Um, But the the important decisions, include God in them. Proverbs 16.3, commit your work to the Lord and then your plans will succeed. Proverbs... uh, Psalm 25, 9 to 13. He leads the humble in what is right, teaching them his way. The Lord leads with unfailing love and faithfulness all those who keep his covenant and obey his decrees. Who are those who fear the Lord? He will show them the path they should choose. They will live in prosperity and their children will inherit the promised land. So... Asking God to help us. You know what? Sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes a a God decision or a good decision doesn't make sense in the natural. When God spoke to Abraham and said, I want you to leave your family, your, your country and everything you know, and I want you to leave it and I want you to go to a place that I will tell you where it is on the way, that made no sense to anybody but Abraham, because he'd heard from God. People going, where are you going? I don't know. Why are you leaving? I don't know. But I know God said to go, and so I'm going to follow. Our decision to start this church in 1999 in September did not make sense to me or Nicole. We didn't want to. We were told to. 
We said, no, September. Why would you start a church in September? We'll be in three months. People will go on holidays. There'll be no one here. We should start in February. And then we're talking about it, and some of our overseers will say, no, we really just feel like you should just start in September. Just start. Just start in September. Like, uh, all right, okay. So we said, okay, we'll accept your input. Doesn't make sense to us. Anyway, within the first three or four months from September uh, through till uh, Easter the next year, uh, but in the first few months, my entire family came to Christ. Between September and December, my brother and sister-in-law here, 1999, first week, second week that we started the church in September, they came to Christ. Uh, my, uh, my dad came to Christ, my grandmother came to Christ, my auntie came to Christ, one of my cousins came to Christ, all within that period. So it didn't make sense to me at the time, but in retrospect, I think if we didn't start at that point, maybe, maybe they'd never be sitting here. The window. So sometimes these decisions don't make sense. I'm not saying all of them, but sometimes they don't. Uh, Jesus' decision to go to the cross didn't make sense to anybody, to the disciples. They're like, "Are you? What do you mean? We're on a roll. Look at all the people." They idolize you. You got crowds. You got miracles. It's all happening. He's like, no, I've got to go to the cross. No, you don't. Yes, I do. No, you don't. It doesn't make sense. But he knew. He knew the decision that he had to make didn't make sense to everybody else. Only in hindsight did it make sense. And we are living in the fruit of that decision that he made today. Good decisions are made in the window of opportunity. Good decisions are made when we gather all the information that we can. And good decisions are made when we include God in that process. And we get feedback from people we love and admire and respect. And we hear from God. And it doesn't always make sense. But often or most times when it's a God decision, we look back like that one and go, I'm so glad I made that decision. Let's close our eyes here. Father, we thank you for your word, your promises. We thank you, Lord. You are so practical. You've laid it out before us how to live a life of value, a life of success, a life of significance. How to make relationships work. How to, how to live successfully in this world. I just pray that you show us, reveal to us, help us, Lord. To see all the promises that you've made for us. Come to pass. That we can make the daily decisions. That the big ones, Lord, that we can make them, but, but the daily decisions that are leading us towards where we want to go and who we want to be and what we want to be. That you empower us, not just on ourselves, but in community, supporting one another, encouraging one another, building up one another, being the cheerleaders of one another. That together we celebrate the victories of God, the blessings of God, the favor of God, the fruit of God. God, in our lives as we make godly 
good decisions that lead us into the place of blessing, favor, prosperity in every area of our life. Help us to follow you with all our hearts, Lord, to not lean on our own understanding all the time, but to seek you in every decision and you will show us which path to take. Thank you, God. Just as we finish up, you may be sitting here, maybe you've, the greatest decision that we can make in our life is the decision to ask Jesus Christ to be our Lord and Savior, to put our trust in Him and to follow Him and ask for His guidance. If you've never made that decision, we'd love to pray with you at the end of the service. Maybe you're away from God at the moment. You're not in a place where you're truly trusting Him, following Him, walking with Him. I want to encourage you to invite Him back into that place in your heart. He has your best interest in His heart. And He wants to lead you into a place of blessing happiness, joy. So at the end of this service, prayer team's going to be up the front. If you want prayer, if you want to ask Christ back into your life, or you've never even prayed that prayer, but you go, you know what? I want God in my life. I encourage you to come up here. Take a step. Someone will lead you in that prayer, and you'll find Jesus Christ revealing himself to you. Why don't we all stand here this morning? Father, we thank you that you are good mercy endures forever. You've got our best interest at heart. And as I trust in you, even if we have made bad decisions, here's the, here's the great kicker of the Bible. Even if you have maybe made a bad decision, you think the Bible says you don't need to live with regret because even if you did make a bad decision that you now think, I wish I'd never done that, you can come back to God, say you're sorry. The Bible calls it repentance. God, I'm so sorry I shouldn't have done that. You know what the Bible says? He can actually turn our bad decisions around and bring about blessing from that decision. What an incredible thing that is. So don't live in regret. This is not, this message wasn't there to bring any condemnation, but to go, you know what? Any decision that we've made that we now regret, we can say, God, I'm sorry, I'll bring it to you. Please help turn this around. He will do it because He's God. Amen. Hey, we're going to finish up with another song. Why don't we worship? Thanks, guys. Sing your presence is an open door. Is an open door. We want you, Lord, like never before. Your presence. If you want prayer, you can just your come out the front now. And those guys will be here to pray with you. Is an open so come now, Lord, like never before. I know a breakthrough is coming. And I know a breakthrough is coming. And by faith, I see a miracle. My God made me a promise and it won't stop now. I know a breakthrough is coming. And by faith, I see a miracle. My God made me a promise and it won't stop now. I know, and I know a breakthrough is coming. And 
out, have some morning tea, greet each other, have a fantastic week, prayer meeting this Thursday, and we'll see you out in the cafe. Amen. You the king over my pain. You want me to let it go.